welcome to a very special episode today in which we're going to be saluting Ron Hextall for all, and I do mean all, of the truly great trades he made to help this franchise. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. I got through that one with a straight face. Did you notice? If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. The list, of course, is comprised of one trade, and that would be the acquisition of Ricard Raquel. And to the credit of everyone else, and I do mean everyone else, observing this trade, it was recognized universally as being exactly that. I don't recall a single negative syllable about Raquel coming from Anaheim. And oh, by the way, since then, I can't think of a time anyone's really ever even criticized the guy. I'm talking about for just a bad game or something. His consistency is through the roof. His creativity, I feel, has had a little bit more of a chance to come out with the Penguins than it might have with a kind of a drab Ducks team, particularly over his final few years there. And then this past season, it, it took a little bit too long, but eventually he was elevated to the top power play. And he went out there and it's not too strong a description to say that he quarterbacked the thing. Now, I know there's all kinds of different definitions of quarterbacking a power play, and and there's still way too many people who limit that to a point man. It does not have to be a point man. Believe you me, when Mario Lemieux was on the power play, wherever he happened to be, he was quarterbacking the power play. We've seen that with others, not least of whom is Yarmir Yager. Phil Kessel did it very impressively in the Penguins' past two cup runs. And I happened to spend a significant portion of my night last night going through Raquel film for a drive to the net hockey analysis feature that I have up on DK Pittsburgh sports this morning. And it was all focused on his power play work. And I got to tell you, I was at these games. I was watching from the press box overhead. I'd like to think even in the moment that I was analyzing and I did not have a fraction of the clue I should have had as to how important he'd become to that power play, especially over the final dozen or so games. Almost everything was running through him. This is a very, very good hockey player. I am breaking no news here to anyone who follows this franchise even peripherally. So what's my point? I believe that this player is undervalued even internally. Now, I can't know how that applies to Kyle Dubas. I certainly can't know how it applies to the people he's either recently hired or promoted to new positions. But my hope is that in a more modern and analytical culture, that there will be a greater understanding of what Raquel brings. Because I can tell you without hesitation that over the 2022-23 season, that was not gotten 
on the inside. Hextall made the trade. You can't take that away from him. And it was a good, smart trade, fair exchange, all that other stuff. But I didn't get the sense either from him or Brian Burke or the coaching staff, all of whom are back, that they had processed fully how good this guy is and how much he can do for them. The fact that they stuck so, so long into the season with Brian Rust on the top unit, and I I am a rusty guy, okay? I have come clean with that a hundred times over, including just on a recent entire episode dedicated to the belief that he's going to bounce back this coming fall. But he should have been off of that first power play the first moment they saw what Raquel was bringing. Similarly, Raquel should have been considered, and I mean not, not, not considered, he should have been thrust onto that top line the moment they saw those first few games. you remember when him and Sid just happened to be on the rink together? And they ended up producing all these points, and it was just a complete accident. They were never supposed to be on the ice together in that game. And it took forever. for. And this is on Sullivan, really, more than anybody else. It took forever for the head coach to say, hey, you know, I, I got to try something different here. This Sid Jake Rusty thing isn't happening. Rusty's not finishing at all. And he just wouldn't do it. And this is where I'm talking about Dubas and the whole culture and all kinds of people being able to speak their minds and to be heard, including by the head coach, to offer him information. Don't shove it in his face. Don't tell him what to do, but offer him the information. Hey, did you realize, Sully, this guy was on the rink for XXX touches last night and batted like 990 along the way. He just had an immaculate possession game. Oh, thanks. Good information. You don't have to write it in the form of a novel. It doesn't have to be handed to him as thick as a phone book. Give him something he can process on the bus ride back to the hotel. Give him something that he and Todd Reardon and Mike Vellucci and everybody else can discuss in the coaches meeting. What can we do to get more out of racks? But I'm going to say this now. There is no way that Raquel shouldn't be on this team's first line next to Sid and Jake. And I'll go a step further. There's no way Raquel shouldn't be on the top power play unit. Yes, including when Jake is back. Yes, including the arrival of Eric Carlson. That's what I describe in the drive to the net column that's up on the site this morning. When we come back, J1Q. Joe, who says, DK, I agree that Thomas Tatar would be a welcome addition to this team, but what would be the likely financial scenario to accommodate his cap space? And more important, who would be bumped from the lineup? I'm hoping that the young players get a chance to prove themselves, but I'm also aware that injuries arise during a season for call-ups if there's a cap flexibility to do so. I don't have a person that I would throw out of the equation at the moment because we have yet to see the camp competition that's going to 
forge the third and fourth lines. There are certain guys, obviously, that you know are going to be part of it. Lars Eller is absolutely going to be part of it. Matt Nieto, Noel Achari, Drew O'Connor. But I know that there's room for Tatar in this lineup because I know that all of the names that I just read to you, even Eller, aren't going to get 20 goals. And Tatar is. You give him a regular shift, he's going to get 20 goals. And I'll repeat that he led the Devils with a plus 41 rating. Plus 41 this past season. Honestly, I'm surprised he's still out there. Never mind waiting for even just a one-year deal that avoids a tryout-type contract. So I guess my answer would be that it would be anyone who wouldn't score significantly. Sometimes that's just a player going into a funk. We saw a lot of that with Danton Heinen. Uh, I'm going to keep comparing, as I did on the original episode about Tatar this week, Heinen to Tatar, but only in the sense of what their MOs are in hockey. Tatar is a better hockey player than Heinen. He's better than Heinen at everything. But they approach the game similarly, uh, especially in the offensive zone. And yet Heinen, unlike Tatar, would go into these massive droughts. Like he could go two months, not just without scoring, but without like touching the puck. And that would be the guy that you would say, hey, you know, that's enough. This isn't working out. Sit on the bench for a few games. We'll see if you got it when you come back. Now, who is that with this group? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to see that in camp. But I do know that if you get Tatar, he's going to play for you, and he's going to play for you every night. This is not somebody you're acquiring as a spare part. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow. 